Do you ever wonder if we're living in the end times? In Dr. Jeremiah's book, Where Do We Go From Here? He examines what Bible prophecy reveals about 10 phenomena happening in our world today. Order your copy this month, and if you give $75 or more, you'll also receive Dr. Jeremiah's entire teaching series on CD or DVD, correlating study guide, and his interview special on DVD. Order now at davidjeremiah.ca. That's davidjeremiah.ca. At a time when God's Word is more accessible to more people than ever before, the world is spiritually starving. What does that mean in these last days? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah considers the consequences of spiritual starvation on a world desperately in need of God. From Where Do We Go From Here? Listen as David introduces his message, A Spiritual Prophecy, Spiritual Famine. Well, I remember the first time I read these words uh, in the eighth chapter of Amos and and was so struck by the fact that the things that the prophet was saying all those years ago are things that we're beginning to see now. I mean, I, I talk to people all the time who tell me, I go to church, but pastor, I don't get the word. I don't, I don't hear the scripture. And that's a sad thing. Everybody has the right to expect when they go to church on Sunday that they are going to be nourished up in the good Word of God. And if that is not true, then we're contributing to the famine. People today need God's Word. They need it. And it may not be uh, something that you feel comfortable sharing, but if it's in the Word of God, you have to teach it. One of the things that's really important about being an expository preacher is you don't skip things. You know, you don't come to the hard passages and then jump over them to the easier ones on the other side. You go through them, and you discover that even though they're hard, oftentimes it's in the midst of those passages that God does some of his best work. We do not know what he's up to, except that we are to be faithful. And uh, today we begin a discussion of what it's going to be like when there's a famine, a famine, according to Amos, of the Word of God. Well, we have a book we want to tell you about. It's Where Do We Go From Here? How Tomorrow's Prophecies Foreshadow Today's Problems. And uh, we'll send this book to you for a gift of any size. And all you have to do is send your gift, send a note to us asking for the book, and we'll send it to you. It'll be on its way to you as soon as we get your request. We want you to have this. If you don't have it already, we'd love for you to have this book for your library, for your own resource, for your reading, for your sharing, for your growth and encouragement in the faith, and for your protection in these days when so many things are flying around. So um, let us send this book to you. You can send us a gift. And we really are serious when we say a gift of any size. Obviously, we'd like you to be as generous as you can be so you can help us as much as you can help us. But we are very serious about sending this gift to you, no matter what size your gift may be. Well, this is part one of Spiritual Famine, and it's based upon a passage of Scripture in the eighth chapter of the book of Amos. Let's begin. When actor Benedict Cumberbatch took on the role of Greville Wynn in the movie The Courier, He faced some scenes that required him to endure severe weight loss. The movie was inspired by real events, and Wynn was an English businessman recruited by MI6 and the CIA to spy against Russia during the Cold War. 
When Wynn was captured by the Soviets, he spent a few years in lockup, and his near-starvation diet reduced him to skin and bones. For about four scenes in this movie, Cumberbatch had to replicate the look of a man nearly starved to death. And the movie's crew took a break from filming while he went on a harsh diet to make him look emaciated for this portion of the movie. It was a brutal experience. You get very disoriented, he said. You feel dehydrated. You feel hungry all the time. You feel emotionally and physically vulnerable. It's horrible. He said, I felt mentally unstable. Have you ever wondered why our world seems so hungry all the time? Why we are perpetually thirsty? Why so many people are emotionally and physically vulnerable? Why they feel horrible? Why they seem mentally unstable? The answer is that our generation is on a diet. It's a generation that is famished. We have been starved for truth. We're hungry for hope and thirsty for the God-given message of the Scripture. And what we're experiencing right now, which we'll get into in a little bit, is something that the Bible teaches would happen. The Bible says there will be a famine of truth in the last days. Did you know that was in the Bible? The most vivid biblical prediction about this comes from the rugged prophet Amos. He wasn't a trained preacher or an educated theologian. He was a herdsman who spent most of his time trying to figure out where his sheep were. He also was a fruit picker, Amos the fruit picker. He churned with courage and he spoke with conviction because he knew his God and his homespun message was so direct. Amos 4.12 says this, prepare to meet your God, O Israel. When I read that, I was reminded of the many trips my family and I took across this country when I was growing up and you would see that up on billboards, prepare to meet your God. And it was not just a few times, it was all over the country. I recall seeing this painted on rocks and signposts along the highway when I was growing up. Now, of course, they've almost disappeared from our consciousness, and people take offense at that and probably would go to jail if they put it up there where people could see it. And they didn't like it in Amos' day either. We often think we're different than history. When Amos said this, he didn't win any awards, I promise you. In fact, in the New Living Translation of Amos 7, 12 through 13, here's what we read. Get out of here, you prophet. They said, go on back to the land of Judah and earn your living by prophesying back there. Don't bother us with your prophecies here in Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary and the national place of worship. When Amos told them to prepare to meet their God, they didn't like it. They told him to get lost. They didn't know with whom they were dealing. This southern farmer wouldn't be intimidated. Instead, he met their threats with this piercing prediction. Amos 8, 11, and 12. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord God, that I will send a famine on the land, not a famine of bread, nor a thirst for water, but of hearing the words of the Lord. They shall wander from sea to sea, and from north to east. They shall run to and fro, seeking the word of the Lord, and they shall not find it. Amos was describing a particularly deadly type of famine, a problem of the ears, not the stomach. Our generation may be the early stages of a hearing famine. 
as another layer of biblical prophecy unfurls. And this isn't the only time that this is in the Bible. This isn't just Amos' word by himself. Listen to what the prophet Ezekiel said. Disaster will come upon disaster, and rumor will be upon rumor. Then they will seek a vision from a prophet, but the law will perish from the priest and counsel from the elders. And the prophet Micah answered with these words, Therefore you shall have night without vision, you shall have darkness without divination, The sun shall go down on the prophets, and the day shall be dark for them. Here are the prophets describing a time in the future almost as difficult to understand as the 400 silent years that transpired between the Old Testament and the New Testament. That was literally a period of time when God did not speak. To Luke 2, and for the first time, you heard about the Messiah. And as you look around today, if you're vigilant, if you're sensitive to what's happening in the religious world at all, it sort of feels like those days are beginning to come upon us. Everywhere you turn, people are running to and fro, trying to find where significance might be, trying to find satisfaction. They've lost their appetite for the objective truth of God's Word, and so it's being replaced with positive mental attitude lessons and motivational lessons and all kinds of cute little things to try to get people to come and sit in the seats in the church. But it's not the absence of the Word of God that's troubling. Do you know that there are Bibles aplenty in most of the world, and a virtual army of Bible translators are working night and day to get the Scripture into every tongue? And we've made great strides across the universe. More than 1,500 languages now have access to the New Testament, and Bible translation work is currently being done on the rest. Missionary and translation societies are focusing now on the 1.5 billion people who do not have the entire Bible in their language, working feverishly to meet their need. If you ever go to the Museum of the Bible in Washington, you will see a room where they have cataloged all the languages of the world and where you can figure out by just walking in there what languages are yet to be translated with the Bible as its subject. And of course, what that means, men and women, is that about 6 billion of the earth's 7.6 billion people now have access to the whole Bible, both the Old and the New Testament. In other words, God's Word has never been more accessible, and in many places in the world, it's only a smartphone or a laptop click away. You can get the Bible on your phone as easy as you go to any app that you have. So what was Amos talking about when he said there's going to be a famine of the hearing of the Word of God? The prophet's warnings concerned a loss of hunger for the truth. This is a self-inflicted famine. I'll never forget the impact the little book had on my life some years ago. It was written by Sherwood Elliott Wirt. He wrote a little book called A Thirst for God. I read it when I was just getting started in ministry, just getting going as a preacher. It's basically a commentary on Psalm 142. And he said that one of the problems we have when we talk about spiritual hunger is that we think that spiritual hunger and physical hunger are exactly alike, but they are as diverse from each other as they could be. For instance, spiritual hunger works just exactly the opposite from physical hunger. When we are physically hungry, we eat and satisfy our appetites and cease to be hungry. But when we are spiritually undernourished, and are then given a feast of good spiritual food, it makes us hungrier than ever. 
So the more we learn about God's love, the more we want to know we can't get enough. And the reverse is also true. When we are physically hungry and miss a meal, our appetite becomes ravenous. But in time, it passes. If we receive no spiritual food in that period of time, we lose our appetite. You get it? When you're hungry physically, you get more hungry. But if you don't satisfy your spiritual hunger for a period of time, your hunger quotient goes down. You get less hungry. And that's a real problem because let's suppose you've lost your appetite for the Word of God. Suppose you don't really desire it. Suppose you get up in the morning, you see your Bible. You know, I should read this, but I don't do that anymore. used to do it a long time ago, but I just don't really desire it. But then one day you realize you're missing something and you need to fix the problem. So what do you do? How do you fix a problem of spiritual lack of hunger for the Word of God? Here it is. It's called force feeding. You know what that is? You go into your little closet, your little study, your little desk, and you sit down and you say to yourself, self, I'm going to read the Bible today. I don't care if I get anything out of it or not. I'm going to read it. In fact, I'm going to read it till I get something out of it. You have to rekindle your appetite so that your appetite will grow. If you just stop reading the Bible and don't do anything about it, you will never again have an appetite for the Word of God, and you will be a part of the spiritual famine that Amos was talking about. The reality is that our hearts are easily drawn away from God and His Word. We know that. Human beings have a terrible habit of losing their appetite for the truth. D.A. Carson wrote these words. He said, apart from grace-driven effort, people do not gravitate toward godliness, prayer, obedience to Scripture, faith, and delight in the Lord. It's not natural to go there. We drift toward compromise, and we call it tolerance. We drift toward disobedience, and we call it freedom. We drift toward superstition, and we call it faith. We cherish the indiscipline of lost self-control, and we call it relaxation. We slouch toward prayerlessness and delude ourselves into thinking that we've just escaped legalism. We slide toward godlessness and convince ourselves that we have been liberated. We play these games, don't we, in our minds. We all know it. All of us do it. I have done it. The integrity of our own mind is at stake here if we're going to maintain a spiritual aptitude. So what does this mean? That's where we are. What does it mean? I know there are some who are listening who will wonder about the inclusion of a chapter like this in a prophecy book. After all, most of the other topics that I talk about in this series are sort of cataclysmic or apocalyptic in nature. The COVID-19 pandemic, the threat of socialism, economic danger poised to crush all resistance during the tribulation. But what we see prophesied in the book of Amos and other passages of Scripture is nothing less than spiritual starvation. It's a crisis affecting not only our bodies but our souls. To appreciate the serious nature of this coming spiritual famine, I want you to go with me and let's dig a little deeper into its implications. What does it mean for the last days? What does it mean for our lives right now? Here are four things our culture is currently under threat from spiritual malnutrition. First of all, our heritage is being lost. We're losing our heritage. The psalmist said, You have given me the heritage of those who fear your name. Hear me now carefully. How many children in Sunday school and church know anything about the 2,000 years of Christian history? Where are the missionary stories? 
What's happened to the heroes and martyrs and stalwarts of the past whose courage brought the gospel to us? How many children grow up learning the 23rd Psalm and the Lord's Prayer? And what has happened to our old hymns? Our spiritual heritage is little by little just slipping away. We all know that, and it frustrates us. Number two, our theology is being weakened. We must also guard our theology because it's easy for churches to become malnourished in times of spiritual famine. George Barna and his researchers issued a 2020 report warning American Christians are undergoing a post-Christian reformation. The irony of the reshaping of the spiritual landscape in America is that it represents a post-Christian reformation driven by people seeking to retain a Christian identity. The most startling realization is how many people from evangelical churches are adopting unbiblical beliefs. You see, if you don't lay a foundation down of what true doctrine is and teach people what theology is all about, if we don't stand for something, we fall for anything. And they fall for whatever comes down the road. They don't have anything to measure it by, so it sounds good, and they buy it. The report went on to say that evangelicals have traditionally emphasized the importance of seeing the Bible as the infallible, inerrant Word of God. But now, today, 52% of evangelicals do not believe in objective moral truth. These aren't the people on the outside of the church. These aren't the people that we think of, oh, they're the pagans, we're the evangelicals. No, that statistic is about people who go to churches like ours. Some of those people go to our church and to your church. The researchers concluded that what used to be basic, universally known truth about Christianity are now unknown mysteries to a large and growing share of Americans, especially young adults. Let me tell you what that means to me as a preacher. I used to preach with an assumption of a certain basic knowledge of biblical truth. I can't do that anymore. I have to go back and realize that when I preach, the assumption I have to have is that people don't know this. So I have to explain it and try to do it in a way that I don't bore and frustrate the people who do know it. But the vast majority of people who come to church today, even if they grew up in a Christian home, do not know the books of the Bible. As they said, they don't know generation from revolution. They don't know Psalms from Palms. They don't know anything. If you ask them, where is this book? One of the things I love to do is say, okay, everybody, open your Bibles and let's turn to Jude. And they want to know what chapter. But there's only one chapter in Jude. So there's, you know, just the basic understanding of spiritual things that we used to have that we assume when you and I were growing up in the church, it was just part of our understanding. It was part of our knowledge. It's not there anymore. It's been replaced by a lot of secular humanism that's come in to drive our kids and our children away. So as a pastor, I'm deeply concerned about the wayward theological patterns that are trending in churches everywhere. And it's not simply the liberal, old, Protestant, mainstream denominations that are diminishing their doctrines. It's evangelical churches who, in trying to reach a resistant audience, go too far in compromising biblical truth. For centuries, God's Word has been at the center of Christian preaching. Today, questioning scriptural authority is in vogue, even in certain faith communities. Popular speakers advocate processing God's Word through cultural filters rather than the other way around. So our heritage is being lost, and our theology is being weakened, and our Bibles are being overlooked. Mark Twain once defined 
a literary classic as a book which people praise but never read. Unfortunately, that describes the way many people in modern society approach the Bible. Are you for the Bible? Oh, yes. Do you ever read the Bible? Well, in all honesty, no. It doesn't help that cultures around the world are trying to minimize our Bible reading. China has just shut down Bible apps and Christian WeChat public accounts, and hard copies of the Bible are no longer available for sale online in China either. In America and the West, the Gideons are running into problems getting their Bibles into many hotel rooms. One of the most encouraging things, if you travel like I have, is you go into a hotel room and the stand next to your bed, you open the top door and there's a Gideon Bible in there. Not so. I've been in many hotels where that Bible is no longer present. A recent survey showed the percentage of hotels willing to offer Bibles in their rooms has dropped from 90% to 48%. Hotels are finding younger travelers who are less devout than their parents or grandparents, and they don't want to offend atheists or those of other religions. And one atheistic group, listen to this, created stickers for its members to attach to any Gideon Bible they did find in a hotel room. And the sticker said, quote, warning, literal belief in this book may endanger your health and your life. And they take those stickers with them on their trips and they put them on the Gideon Bibles in the hotels. Or if they get into a Marriott, they put it on the Book of Mormon. I'd call that spiritual famine. I'd call that people who disregard the Bible, who someday may want a society that would be impacted by the Bible. If we take the Bible out of our culture, we may ultimately get what we want. A moral compass of Scripture will self-destruct from moral decay and decadence, and pretty soon we will just be immoral, amoral perhaps, without any morality at all. So what's happening in this famine is our heritage is being lost, Our theology is being weakened, our Bibles are being overlooked, and our appetite is being ruined. That leads to my next thought. The reason we're facing a spiritual famine is because our appetite for God's truth is being ruined. A child that gorges on junk food and candy in the afternoon won't have much of an appetite for meat and potatoes at supper. In these last days, it seems as if Satan has unleashed an invisible spiritual virus that robs people of their appetite for God's Word. But it's worse than that because it's not just a loss of appetite. It's a total distaste for the Bible. People grab a handful of Scripture, take a bite, find it distasteful, and spew it out like a child spitting out carrots. As likely as not, they'll dub it hate speech. And often we allow that to push us away and then we don't preach the truth. Often God will respond to our lack of spiritual appetite with silence. He doesn't force his words into our ears. He may withdraw for a time if we lose our appreciation for the privilege of his voice, but God's silence may be hardly noticeable at first. You may still remember times when God spoke to you, but you gradually realize you haven't heard from him in a long time. If you realize you are in a drought, immediately seek God and ask him what adjustments you need to make in your life so that you can once again enjoy fellowship with him. It may be you've disobeyed his last instructions to you. Maybe he's waiting on your obedience before giving you fresh direction. If there's unconfessed sin in your life or if you have a damaged relationship, get it right and do it now. 
By grace, we can stay healthy even during a large-scale spiritual famine. Paul told us to be nourished in the words of faith and of good doctrine. And the psalmist described scripture as sweeter than honey. And the prophet Jeremiah said, your words were found and I ate them. And your word was to me the joy and rejoicing of my heart. Amen. Amen. More of this on Monday as we continue our series, Where Do We Go From Here? And um, let me just tell you again that we're going to Israel in March of 2024. Uh, we're pretty sure this is going to fill up pretty quickly, so you don't want to wait and, and think about this for a couple of months and then get your reservation in. Um, I was just reminded uh, on Easter Sunday of some of the things that we've enjoyed in in Israel. One of my great joys has been the baptizing of my children and grandchildren in the Jordan River. Uh, I've preached in many of the preaching sites there. I've actually spent a night in the Hadassah Hospital in Jerusalem. I don't recommend that. But um, Israel is is a special thing. The Bible says that Jerusalem is God's city. He owns that city in a different way than he owns any other place, and it's his nation. When you go there, you feel the aura of that. I hope you're planning to go, if not with us, somebody, um, while the opportunity is still available. Get more information from davidjeremiah.org slash events. And have a great weekend. We'll see you on Monday. God bless you. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, Where Do We Go From Here? Please visit our website. There you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. Or call us at 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's timely book, Where Do We Go From Here? Plus the bonus resource, Warning Signs of the End Times. They're both yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Available in your choice of handsome cover options. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us Monday as we continue Where Do We Go From Here? on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. For more than 40 years, Dr. David Jeremiah has faithfully preached God's Word. And as the world changes, how the message is delivered expands. Turning Point Plus was created as the next step in our digital broadcast ministry. And it's available instantly when you sign up to support Turning Point with an automatic monthly gift of any amount. Learn more and access more than 12,000 audio and video messages at turningpointplus.org. The Bible contains chilling prophecies about the end times, but right alongside is the news that Jesus has overcome the world. In his book, The World of the End, Dr. David Jeremiah instructs us how to put Jesus' prophetic teaching into practice. And when you support Turning Point this month, we'll send you your very own copy. Gifts of $75 or more will receive the World of the End study set, and you'll receive the premium set for gifts over $100. Learn more at davidjeremiah.ca. A class of second graders was drawing while the teacher walked around looking at their creations. She stopped by little Sally's desk and said, Sally, what are you drawing? I'm drawing a picture of God, Sally replied. 
But Sally, the teacher, said, nobody knows what God looks like. Sally looked up full of confidence and said, they will in a minute. Sally deserves an A for creativity and confidence, but not for biblical accuracy. And her teacher wasn't totally correct either. It's true that nobody knows what God looks like, but it's because Jesus said God is spirit, and how does one draw that? This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover what God is like on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.